the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. US President Joe Biden is angry. So angry, in fact, that he wants to take a swing at the liner executives, who he blames, at least partly, as responsible for everything from soaring rates, inflation and supply chain congestion. Every once in a while, something you learn makes you viscerally angry. Like if you had the person in front of you, you'd want to pop them. No, I really mean it. These companies have raised their prices by as much as 1,000%. Foreign-owned shipping companies that raise their prices while raking in just that's $190 billion in profit. A seventh... There is an element of political theatre to Mr Biden's anger, which is very much on show for the US voters. And sadly, nobody is currently anticipating the pay-per-view boxing match between Soren Sku and a 79-year-old US president. What has happened, of course, is that the Ocean Shipping Reform Act has been passed. The new law, which has received bipartisan support in its passage through Congress and the Senate, will grant more power to the Federal Maritime Commission to ensure that shippers, and particularly exporters, are treated fairly. What it won't do, of course, is offer a silver bullet for fixing congestion and disruption in the supply chain or high shipping costs. Not that you'd necessarily know that from listening to politicians this week. OSRA has become somewhat malleable to whatever politicians have wanted it to be, and Biden's rhetoric over recent weeks blaming the shipping companies for pretty much everything is nothing more than political opportunism. That said, OSRA is also an important piece of legislation. It's the first reform of US law applicable to ocean shipping since 1998. It also creates certain responsibilities on the part of ocean carriers to carry exports. So, To unravel what OSRA actually means to the market in practice and cut through some of the heated political rhetoric, I have put two experts into our audio ring this week. In the blue corner, we have the Federal Maritime Commissioner himself, Chairman Dan Maffey. In the red corner, President and Chief Executive of the World Shipping Council, Mr John Butler. I started with Dan Maffey, who argues that the bill provides much-needed and overdue updates to the laws that the Federal Maritime Commission enforces. I think the important thing is for for stakeholders, shippers, even consumers to know that you know we have open ears, uh, and that you know we we you know we have five independent commissioners, so. Um, you know, we take very seriously our responsibility to listen to a variety of people and to be, you know, the, the referees of a, of a fair and level playing field. You know, we're not out to get the carriers uh, and, you know, but we certainly want to hold the carriers to the high standard that the American people deserve um, and other people in the world deserve. And frankly, that the carriers, when they come into my office, say they want to do. A good portion of this, Richard, is to make sure that that we we encourage the carriers that are doing a good job, that do go out and and work with their exporters to get more export boxes on ships, and that do do their best to to negotiate contracts in good faith, to make sure that the 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 marketplace that no nobody is disadvantaged by being a good corporate citizen like that. And so that's one of the reasons why we've been so active at the FMC. You know, we know we're not going to uh, change everybody's behavior, but we at least want to create the proper incentives because I do think that, you know, the the, the global uh, ocean transportation system 
is absolutely essential to the world economy and and has been a you know really a miracle in the last 50 years so we want it to work as good as it can for everybody and what are the immediate changes that we're going to see with the passing of osra and when do you think we're going to see any significant differences in terms of importers and exporters actually operating yeah i think i think pretty quickly in a certain somewhat odd way, we've already seen differences because I think once the carriers figured out that, gosh darn it, the FMC is serious and is doing things like in our in the audit program asking questions, none of that's binding, but we've been asking them, you know, tough questions and, and many of them have been responding, um, you know, with new initiatives. And then, of course, seeing that the Congress and the president uh, are serious about doing legislation. A, a lot of them have already uh, found religion, if you will. Um, mm. I expect more will. It is a, a a process to pass these rules, but um, you know, I'm hoping within the first uh, six months um, we'll have our first uh, rule on exports that sort of uh, you know lays out you know the very very basics. I'm not going to say you know we'll be able to implement all of the export provisions that quickly, but at least start that process of laying down a marker of what the FMC expects for carriers to be compliant with the new with the new bill. Um, and and look, I think it'll be pretty balanced. I agree with you. There are a lot of people that are, you know, some people are sort of saying this completely changes everything and other people are saying, no, this is just window dressing. I, I think it's significant and important. It's not going to be a wholesale change of the system. What I would say to uh, people who run carriers or, or run various things is is if they're simply you know act very responsibly and understand that that taking exports is part of their business, which I will say the majority of them do. Mm. Um, you know, I don't think it it'll be a problem for them going forward. I don't expect there to be a whole lot of changes. However, you know, we have seen some carriers um, you know downplay exports. Uh, too often uh, take a box uh, back uh, to Asia just to get filled up with imports as fast as possible. Um, and then we've seen some new entrants come in that that pretty much carry uh, either exclusively or, or pretty much all uh, imports without taking any exports. So there are definitely some issues there that this will address. But you think you've got the right amount of teeth, you've got the right regulatory framework to actually effect change now? Uh, look, I think we've already affected change. I mean, you know, we've anticipated both the the interest on the part of Congress and some of the specific things that they've done already. And, and that's that's on purpose. You know, I mean, um, I'm a former member of Congress myself and, in, in, uh, you know, and in, in the UK, obviously, members of the parliament are the people who run the government here. It's much different. But but I do have those connections. And so I, I you know, I know I know what they've been doing. But there's certainly areas, particularly on that export, where we're. You know, we did either it was extraordinarily debatable whether we had the authority or we simply didn't have it. And so this is a very, very important step. Now, is it enough? I'm not sure. I think there's uh, several areas that the bill did not cover that still I would like to see covered at some point. Um, and, you know, there's just no way to sort of predict the future. But I do think it will restore some balance to the system. And most importantly, maybe right now, I think it'll restore American shippers uh, confidence in the uh, in the supply in our ocean uh, supply chain. It'll at least start mm. that process. Well, talk about a few of the specifics. I mean, it it contains the ability to enforce um, carriers not rejecting uh, the export of cargoes. I think it says unreasonably. So yes. What 
what what does uh, what constitutes unreasonable in your view? Is that going to be a codified thing or is that going to be ad hoc? Well, that's what no, it, it, we'll we'll codify it. Um, but uh, you know, well, for instance, with detention and demerge, we developed a principle here. Commissioner Rebecca Dye was, uh, you know, able to develop it. That's that's uh, it sounds so simple, but we were all struggling to figure it out beforehand. And that is a detention demerge charge is reasonable if it's can move cargo. But if it can't move cargo and it's just a matter of raising revenue, it's not reasonable. Mm. So that's important. And that's also in this bill. And we're going to work on that. In terms of exports, I expect we'll come up with something very similar. Um, hard to predict exactly what it'll say. If you know, if I knew that, uh, then we wouldn't, wouldn't take sort of the six months to figure it out. And I want to do it, you know, with with a lot of input from various stakeholders, not not the least of which being the shippers themselves, but also the carriers and others. But I, I do think it's essentially it's, you know, we're going to state that that, well, I think American shippers understand that export shippers are going to compete with export shippers. Import shippers are going to compete with import shippers. It's this idea of an export shipper competing with an empty box, with the opportunity cost of getting this empty box back to Asia to stuff with more uh, with more imports. Um, that is something that the Congress just did not understand, and that is what we're going to try to prevent. Now, if there's if you need balance on the ship and, uh, you know, uh, exports tend to weigh more than imports, if there's any sort of technical reason, no, then that would be a reasonable reason to, to, to deny it. So I can kind of point to the extremes on both sides, but it's hard to give you exactly where we're going to land in terms of a principle. Understood. Understood. Well, I think that's it adds a certain amount of clarity, at least for the for the listeners on the uh, the industry side who have been, I think, worried about how the the specifics are going to work out in 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 practice. But I mean, let's take a, a step back and, and and look at the um the wider issues because I mean, nothing in this bill is going to affect freight costs. It's not going to ease demand or resolve congestion. But that's not the way it's being portrayed. I think in some of the mainstream media coverage. How do you feel about the president's assertions that the act is a response to high freight rates and soaring inflation? Because that was specifically what was I, called out by Biden this weekend. Yeah. So I think I, I think some of which, you know, and you, Richard, I, I don't think you've ever been accused of taking something too literally or, or uh, 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 I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Um, so it does address maybe not freight rates, but freight costs because the fees are part of the cost. And one of the things that I you know, said this way back in September is the, 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 the rate might be properly based on the, the market, but then when you have all these add-on fees and sometimes they're as ridiculous as you know, a congestion fee. I mean, every place is congestion in the entire world. There's not one major port that isn't. So to sort of say, well, that's not part of the, the, the rate, of course it is. And so I do think it will help us address overall freight rates and particularly that unfair side and and really try to bring more transparency to rates. So I do think it does that. In terms of congestion, I think there's a lot of ways, maybe the bill doesn't directly address congestion, but there's a lot of ways which it can indirectly, uh, you know, term, certainly in terms of detention demerge. Um, we need to restore uh, confidence that when a carrier or a terminal charges in detention and demerge, it is a legitimate charge and needs to be paid. And why is that? Because most of the time you hear me railing against unfair detention demerge. Well, unfair detention demerge is a, is the problem because it, lo- it it means that credibility goes away. But 
we need detention and demerge in order to do, as Rebecca Dye pointed out, keep cargo moving. So it's very, very important that we restore confidence in that system that I do feel, and this goes back before COVID, was abused by some of the carriers. So it, it, it will affect those things. I think the president's right. But the way in which it's been presented, it seems to be used for different purposes to sort of convey a different message to voters. I mean, when we look at it from an industry point of view, there is no silver bullet here. It doesn't really address the issues that are being almost blamed on shipping. And yet you have a president standing in front of the cameras, you know, saying how viscerally angry he is and how he would pop the ship owners executives if only they were in front of him. Do you think that's, uh, you know, fair? I, I think that may be more of a Saturday Night Live's uh, <laughs> caricature of the president than the actual president. But no, he did say how angry he is. Look, it's it's you have to see it from uh, the perspective of an, of an average American consumer. And, and the president is very empathetic with that, given that he is a very middle class president himself. And, you know, looking at, um, you know, these costs and things, and then you hear, well, these there's these foreign ocean carriers. And, you know, what they what they do is they're taking a lot of imports in and they're making a lot of money and then they're turning around, not necessarily doing exports and they're charging, you know, nickel and dime type fees and all that other stuff. It, You know, I think it's a it's a more visceral reaction, but I don't I, I kind of share that reaction in some ways. I think we do need to restore balance. And this this bill is important. And I, you know, and I was a, a strong supporter that that we needed something. Now, does that you now are you know you're right. There are a lot of factors that that are going to affect things that uh, that this bill doesn't touch because after all, we're talking about a global interconnected system. Um, but I don't you know that. Let me put it this way: one of the things I really admire about the, the President Biden is he doesn't he doesn't say, well, I can't solve it all, so I'm not going to solve a little bit of it or or, or a bunch of it. And so, and and unfortunately, the Congress and both parties. I really want to stress this was both parties in Congress. This is, you know, I mean, I I wish the average American voter knew that this was a bipartisan bill, and that the the you know the U.S. government is is trying to do stuff, not go too far. It has balance, but to make sure that they're they're being heard and their concerns are being heard. I mean, freight rates are starting to go down, and that's a good thing. Um, now, you know, there's a lot of factors affecting that as well. Uh, final uh, you know, couple of questions. D, I mean, the, the number was called out, I think, by Biden. He, he described the nine alliance carriers as the sort of the main culprits. Of course, that's not all of it. I mean, there are 23 carriers that serve the U.S. market uh, in the last year or so. Clearly, there is the implication that there isn't enough competition. But how much competition is enough, as far as you're concerned? You know, that's a good point. I mean. I, I think that's an, an answer that uh, that I would be there's way above my pay grade. But what I will say is that, uh, you know, you go 25 years ago to the last uh, Ocean Shipping Reform Act in 98, that was more of a deregulatory bill. And you look at there were then two dozen large carriers supporting the U.S. and I think several dozen other smaller carriers. Then it was a much different kind of industry. Consolidation over the years um, has created much bigger mega shippers uh, serving the United States and Europe, for that matter. Um, this has been a concern of the EU and actually Chinese competition authorities as well. That when you go, when you're going to go from 20-something major players. Uh, and in our case, several of them were based in the U.S. back then to just, you know, nine single digits that is going to increase their ability to, um, you know, abuse their market power. Now, whether that means, you know, uh, 
you know, collusion, the legal definition of collusion, you know, that's that's something for the Justice Department to look into because the agreements they have on file with us do not permit any kind of collusion on prices. But uh, in terms of the overall market, yeah, I, you know, certainly, and remember, the president has an initiative on all sorts of things, it tell, you know, telecom companies and, uh, you know, health care devices and all sorts of things, um, basically saying that more competition would do would do us some good. And competition is the lifeblood of capitalism. So I think looking at the industry and seeing how much consolidation there is, you know, I think that's a fair a fair observation. So that's the view of the Federal Maritime Commission. But what about the industry? Container lines represented by the World Shipping Council said they look forward to engaging with the FMC to implement OSRA in a way that would minimise disruption in the supply chain. But the WSC also warned that the new law would not be a silver bullet for fixing congestion and disruption in the supply chain. I caught up with World Shipping Council President John Butler this week. Can I start by asking you to set out what you think the Ocean Shipping Reform Act does, because it seems to me that, you know, this has been a fairly long political journey to get to where we are now. And it seems to have been rebranded multiple times and used for many different purposes politically. So what is OSRA as far as you're concerned? Yeah, and Richard, you're right. This has been a, a bit of a journey. It was about this time last year that the house first introduced a bill and that bill was uh, promoted as addressing a couple of things one being to get a bit more clarity and regularization around detention and demerge and also to take a look at um, how vessel space is made available in a very difficult and congested market. At the end of the day, we have ended up with a bill that does those two things. Along the way, to your point, we have had various people claim that the bill would do everything from you know, reversing inflation to cleaning your windows and perhaps cooking up a nice gumbo. But you know, it is, a, it is a, uh, an election year in the United States. Um, and, and politics is what it is. So it's not unusual in the heat of the moment for people to make claims about what a piece of legislation does and doesn't do. At the end of the day, the product is what the product is. And it's the product of discussions and education and compromise uh, within the Congress. And, and they put out a final product. And so that's where we find ourselves. I'll come back to some of the political rhetoric in a second, if you don't mind. But let me ask you a direct question. Do, do you think that the carriers shot themselves in the foot by, to use Chairman Maffey's words, nickel and diming customers with charges and fees at a time of disruption and record profitability for the lines? Yeah, I think that rather grossly o oversimplifies the nature of uh, the challenge. Um, in the context of detention and demurrage, which is where, you know, I guess your, your your comment is rooted. We have to keep in mind that those are tools to keep cargo moving. And the single biggest challenge that we've had throughout COVID with respect to the intermodal supply chain is keeping cargo moving. And to dig into that a little bit further, one of the huge problems we've had is for particularly U.S. importers 
to use the ports as storage, leaving cargo uh, on the terminals for a long period of time, not out of any malice, but because they simply didn't have any place to put it, right? And so you have a combination of people making, throughout the supply chain, making very difficult um, decisions about when to move their cargo, where to move their cargo, and pulling their hair out, trying to figure out if they have any place to take it. So it's in that context that detention and demerge charges are levied. So having said that, um, you know, the need for the tools is really clear. Uh, to answer your question directly, with tens of millions of containers moving around, and frankly, the very chaotic conditions that we have seen at some of the nation's ports, and particularly with inland transportation, have there been situations when uh, ocean carriers or marine terminals should have, you know, waived uh, charges when they didn't? Almost certainly, right? And there are probably other situations where they waive charges when they should not have. So that's the nature of uh, the chaos on the waterfront. Um, but I think all of our members are trying to get to a place where they are uh, fairly billing those charges that are due because it's really critical to apply those charges appropriately in order to get the benefits of keeping cargo moving. Well, I mean, with that in mind, I mean, with the with the new regulations in mind and, and other FMC guidelines now being strengthened, do you think any of this is going to solve the problems being faced by shippers or is it just going to add administrative burdens? It depends on which problems you're talking about. Nothing in the Ocean Shipping Reform Act is going to fix the congestion problems. The congestion problems are fundamentally inland transportation problems. If you look at, particularly over the last year, West Coast ports, and now as more cargo is, 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 is diverted to U.S. East Coast ports, we still have ships lined up waiting to get into port, right? And that's artificially reducing the effective supply of ocean capacity. And that is what is slowing down cargo velocity. So in order to solve the real problems, which are the ones I alluded to a moment ago, what happens to the cargo, particularly the import cargo, once it comes off the ship? If it's taking far longer than it should for that to get out to its destination and circle back, then we're still going to have this congestion. And there's nothing you can do to legislate that, mm. right? That's a matter of investment. That's a matter of warehouses at inland locations getting cleared out. It's a function of railroads getting their operations um, back up to speed to deal with these volumes. It's all of those things. And there's nothing in this bill that attempts to or that will change that situation. And that's interesting because rightly or wrongly, right now, the political mood music, certainly in the US, is strongly against the carriers. And I wonder whether when it becomes apparent that OZA is not going to do the things that some politicians are claiming it will, is there a risk of further legislation or regulation coming through as a result of that miscommunication? 
Well, one would hope if that turned out to be the case that people recognized that they had claimed the existence of a solution when they hadn't legislated one, that the next time around they would look at the actual causes of the problem and ask themselves whether it's possible to to legislate solutions to these inland uh, bottlenecks that are really causing the problem. I don't think it is possible to legislate solutions to that. I think there are things that the federal government sort of can do around the edges. The, you know, the White House, the Port Envoy, you know, have done a good job acting as conveners, for example, to get people to talk to one another that might otherwise not have talked to one another. So it's not that there's nothing that government can do. Um, and of course, legislators only have one tool. And that's legislation. And so, you know, they're stuck with a, a pretty limited toolbox when you're talking about a systemic situation like the one we're we're facing now. And frankly, it takes a lot of guts to say there's only so much we can do. Well, quite. But that doesn't seem to be the message that's getting through. You have the president of the United States of America live on telly saying he wants to take a pop at the um, executives from the from the lines. And, and squarely blaming them for the uh, uh, current situation. Uh, presumably that is not helping your situation right now. I don't think it helps anyone when you throw up your hands and say, you know, my solution to the problem is punching somebody in the face. I mean, that's 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 not exactly uh, a highbrow policy making. So, um, but, you know, more to the point, we're quite disappointed. Um, with the fact that the president continues with some talking points that are simply uh, they don't line up with the facts, let me put it that way. And in particular, he makes suggestions that the the industry is highly concentrated. Um, the FMC just came out with a report after a very long investigation and evaluation that says that that's not the case. And all you have to do is add up the numbers to recognize that that's not the case. The standard HHI metric that's used by antitrust authorities all over the world and certainly by all the antitrust agencies in the United States, including the FMC, uh, shows that this is not a concentrated industry. And in addition to that, all of the evidence shows that this is a very competitive industry. The fact is we have this external reduction in effective ocean capacity because of the inland problems and that combined with the huge demand for U.S. imports has driven up rates. Mm. So those are the causes of the high rates. Uh, and it would be better for the policy discussion if the if the president would simply acknowledge that and then start from that factual basis so we can have a conversation about, OK, what happens from here? And that's it for another week. We'll be back next Friday with more audio insights. But for now, thank you for listening and have a good week.